welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 160. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we've got a great Q&A lined up for you today, but before we get into the listener questions, Jack's actually got some pretty exciting news that he'd like to share with everyone. Yeah, so it's good to be back on the TBD podcast. And while this is Tierra's first podcast episode in a few weeks, I've been a little bit busier on my end, which is the exciting news that I wanted to announce. And I'm sure many of the listeners are already in tune with what I'm about to say. But essentially, I've actually started another podcast, so a second podcast on top of TBD, and it's called Bodybuilding Down Under. So I'm joined by three other hosts. So myself, Lawrence Grieve, also known as General Muscle on Instagram, who has his own podcast. I'm joined by Daniel Yates and Daniel Chappelle as well, who are both coaches in the Australian bodybuilding scene as well. And yeah, essentially on that podcast, the episodes are a bit longer. So around 45 minutes to an hour, we basically discuss our own personal journeys in the bodybuilding world. And we also answer a few questions just have some discussions each episode about certain topics and yeah it's a lot of fun so basically if you guys are interested in that it's quite bodybuilding heavy per se so I know we talk about a lot of like more general nutrition topics on here but if you like bodybuilding or fitness in any sort of capacity then I highly encourage you whether you live in Australia or not to check out that podcast it's called bodybuilding down under Tierra will link it in the show notes below alternatively if you search it on Spotify or Apple podcasts just type in bodybuilding down under don't type in the bodybuilding down under podcast Yeah, well, I think it's so exciting that you guys have all teed up and started that new podcast channel. And I know that I certainly look forward to actually tuning into the episodes every single week. So I have no doubt that if people enjoy our podcasts, they're seriously going to vibe over yours too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean it. Cool. Well, hopefully you guys do check it out. And I appreciate everyone who does listen to one of our episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Very exciting things to come for you guys. Cool. So we'll get into our podcast episode today, which is a traditional Q&A. So this first question says, does the occasional glass of wine have any negative effects on muscle during a growth phase? This is an awesome question, and it's been a hot minute since we actually spoke about alcohol and its influence on health and fitness on this podcast channel A. Yeah, we don't get asked about it that often, but it certainly is an important topic. Yeah, so with this question, I like how they use the word the occasional glass of wine. And I actually tried looking up, is there a definition for occasional? Because we know that when people say, oh, I do this every couple of days, generally means I do this every second day, or I do this a few times a week. I usually do it every three days or so. But occasional, there's not so much of a, like a firm definition for how often is occasionally because it's not very objective, is it? No, not at all. Because for some people, occasional could mean like maybe three to six times a year might mean once or twice a month, or it might mean like once a week. So occasional it's uh it's unique to everyone, how they want to use it. Mm, it is. Yeah. Well, 
moving into the occasional glass of wine. So talking about wine, so let's say your standard glass of red or white wine. So a standard glass of red or white wine will be around five fluid ounces, which turns out to be around 150 milliliters. I don't actually know how many people measure their wine. I think all wine glasses are different sizes and Mm. depending on how someone feels and how much they want to drink, they're just going to fill that thing up to how much they desire and not necessarily put it on a scale. But the, a standard drink is roughly 150 milliliters of wine. And with that, it is going to carry about 14 grams of alcohol, about three to four grams of carbohydrates, and it's going to come out to be around 120 calories. Now, That is a nice little reminder that alcohol, it does have calories. So you still need to account for the energy in alcoholic beverages. And per gram of alcohol, alcohol is actually almost twice as energy dense as carbohydrates or protein gram for gram. So per gram of alcohol, you are going to get around seven calories, whereas per gram of carbohydrate or protein, you'll get around four calories per gram. It's almost as energy dense as a gram of dietary fat, which we know is around nine calories per gram. So, you know, a few alcoholic beverages, you can be looking at the same amount of calories that you'd probably get in a pretty indulgent meal. Yeah, especially I think if people actually measured out like one glass of wine Mm. in meals, it's quite a depressing amount in terms of how big the wine glass is. (laughs) Yeah, 150 milliliters, man. That's that's not much. It's like two sips. Yeah, because you think like, you know, you you fill up a little glass of water and that's only going to be around, what, 250 mils. Yeah. Yeah, so it is, it's it's a little amount, but, you know, if you enjoy it, definitely take your little sips and do your little... Yes, the sniff thing around the rim. (laughs) All that aroma. (laughs) But anyway, moving on. So will the occasional glass of wine actually influence your health and fitness goals or your results, particularly during a growth phase, which this question was referring to? So we just have to remember that when it comes to alcohol, alcohol, it is a sedative and it will slow down your motor function, which results in it reduces your hand-eye coordination, it can impair your judgment, it can slow down your reaction time, and ultimately, the body does view alcohol somewhat as a poison. The body doesn't necessarily enjoy alcohol, and when you actually consume alcohol, it's actually going to prioritize metabolizing alcohol over any other nutrient because it is a priority for the body to try to get rid of it and ultimately to try to excrete it. So when you do consume alcohol, it is metabolized by the liver and it undergoes multiple detoxification processes, but it is going to be prioritized over the metabolization of protein and amino acids, which is gonna have downstream effects on muscle protein synthesis. It's also going to be prioritized over the metabolization of fatty acids and lipolysis, which is where we actually convert fatty acids into energy. And it's also going to be prioritized over increasing your blood glucose levels and actually breaking down glycogen into glucose so that we have sustained energy levels. So alcohol, it is going to be prioritized over all of these other metabolic processes which all of those other metabolic processes have remarkable benefits for us in terms of our health and fitness goals. For example, they've actually done some studies 
and they have taken a group of individuals and after a workout, they've had one group just consume protein, about 25 grams of protein, and then they had the other group consume the same amount of protein coincided with an alcoholic beverage. Following that, the group that actually combined alcohol with the protein actually had reduced muscle protein synthesis by about 25%, which is almost equivalent to being in an energy deficit of around 40% below your maintenance calories. So that in itself is a pretty significant decrease in muscle protein synthesis. Of course, if that was only occasionally, you know, once a week, once a month, two times a year or something in the grand scheme of things, would that really make that much of a difference? No. Yeah, <laughs> not not huge. But certainly if you then go down the track of it, alcohol isn't just occasional anymore, but you are going veering towards more so binge drinking and you're having a lot of alcoholic beverages all at once, that's when you're a hell of a lot more likely to run into some trouble. So for example, One study actually showed that individuals who had nine alcoholic beverages at one time, they actually had a decrease in testosterone by up to 45%. A group that drank six standard drinks compared to orange juice following a workout, in their subsequent workout, they actually had a decrease in strength between anywhere between 11 to 19% as well, which shows that it can have negative consequences in the days and the weeks to come too. And you're going to have negative training adaptations to that, which is obviously just going to be correlated with the decrease in muscle protein synthesis. And also alcohol, it can negatively increase how much glycogen you can store following a workout as well. So boy, and not to mention the deep sleep as well impairs your sleep, not to mention the dehydration, like depending on how much you drink, once again, your body is trying to metabolize it, but then in order to excrete that alcohol, yes, you breathe it out, but you also excrete a significant amount of it through your urine. So you can become severely dehydrated too. But once again, all of these things aren't going to come from just having the occasional glass of wine. This is more so if you're engaging in drinking a lot of alcohol on quite a frequent basis. Yeah, I think it very much is dose dependent and the best amount of alcohol that you can drink to make the most gains is going to be zero. Mm. And that's just the truth. (laughs) Yeah, it is the truth. Um, But that's not saying, of course, that someone who is invested in their health and fitness can't drink alcohol. It's of course completely up to them, Mm. but there is no best amount or good amount of alcohol when it comes to health and fitness progression. Mm. But in saying that, yeah, depending on the frequency that you do it is the detriment to your performance or progress going to even be noticeable if it's occasional. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Like, and once again, it would be very individualized given the circumstance, but like, would it be equivalent to, okay, one glass of wine, would that be as detrimental as missing an entire workout for the week? Or, you know, like you went a whole day with severely under eating or not hitting a protein target at all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my guess would be no, like missing a workout would be worse 
because one glass of wine, it's not going to necessarily impair your sleep. You're not going to wake up the next day and have a poor workout. I think it also depends on when you consume the alcohol as well. Like mm. if you have a glass of wine as your protein shake post-workout, that's <laughs> obviously not going to be ideal. But if you have it like quite far away from you, your workout, then it's not going to be as big of a deal compared to if you have it right after a workout. Yeah. Like if you finish your workout and then go out to eat straight away at a restaurant and have a glass of wine there, that those are little small things to consider. Or even like you said right at the beginning, like the occasional drink. I think a lot of people would be having the occasional drink but having a lot more alcohol than they think just because the serving size of alcohol is very small. Mm, exactly right. Yeah, well, I don't think there's too much else to say. I think... Often a reputation for some people drinking is that, oh, a small amount of alcohol is actually healthy or even the resveratrol, which is a type of phytonutrient in wine, which comes from grapes, is actually healthy and offsets the alcohol even. But I don't think so. I don't think there's any... I know this sounds a bit melodramatic and me being like the dietetics police, but I personally don't think there's a good amount of alcohol to drink. I think the safest amount is zero. Mm. And the argument about resveratrol is kind of like saying, oh, I use pink Himalayan salt for the nutrients in it. <laughs> when realistically, the amount you're having is, is so small, unless you drink a lot of wine, um, in which case it's, it's no longer healthy anyway, <laughs> uh, you're not going to be getting much benefit from the resveratrol. Or in the case of salt, you're going way over your mm. sodium targets, yo. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, why not just supplement with resveratrol anyway? Yeah, it's interesting. And we actually had a nutrition lecturer uh, at our University of Queensland who she did a lot of her research in resveratrol. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of the research it is done in animal studies. And like you said, resveratrol to phytonutrients, the type of antioxidant that is found in the skin of grapes. And it is generally more highly concentrated in red wine compared to if you were just to eat a buttload of grapes. Mm. <laughs> but even then, like it's a lot of antioxidants have very similar properties in the sense that, you know, they might have some potential anti-aging benefits, or they also help to lower your blood pressure, or they might help to positively influence your insulin sensitivity and so on. But yeah, once again, it's uh it's kind of like drinking martinis for the olives, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need to drink a whole like bottle of red wine just to be justify it by like, ooh, I'm getting my antioxidants. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people still say that anymore it, it, while being serious. I'm sure mm -hmm. many people use it as a very loose justification for drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, though, let's move on to the next question. Excellent. So this next question, it says... How can I successfully do a building phase? What should I specifically focus on? And is there any specific data to collect? Yeah, so we could simplify this and just say like, be in a surplus and, and get stronger in the gym. But mm -hmm. there's a bit more nuance to it than that. So I think a good place to start is like nutrition and body weight. And then we could talk about training afterwards. So an important point for me about gaining phases and something that I assess whenever someone comes to me for a gaining phase is ensuring that they have enough runway for a gaining phase. And that usually corresponds to body weight. So when I say runway, I mean, how long can we productively gain body weight for without getting to a position where that person achieves an unfavorable body composition for gaining muscle? And that might relate to appetite, that might relate to 
just having too much body fat. So then when they need to come down in, in future, there's just too much body fat to strip off and you end up losing too much muscle. So essentially we need a, a relatively leanish position. And I think if we want to use like an objective body fat number, then 11, 12%, I think is quite good. And there will be some individual variation there because some people will feel better or worse at different body fats than others. Like mm. I think it would be quite redundant to start at like 6% body fat because you're going to feel pretty crappy. Mm. Your hormonal profile is going to be compromised at that position. So starting in a position where you have got some decent uh, runway for, from a body weight standpoint. And I guess when you say those numbers, really, it does come down to more so consulting with a coach, someone who has a trained eye who can actually look over your physique photos and actually have an estimation of, okay, are we actually in a good position right now to actually enter into a solid building phase for at least these next three, six, nine, 12 months potentially. And yeah, so it, it really comes down to having that trained eye of how much body fat do you have and where is it distributed on your mm. body? Yeah. And I think you mentioning three months brings up another point is like, it's important to be realistic about how much you muscle you can build mm. in, in a period of time, because I know you just said three months, like mm. arbitrarily, yeah. but like three months isn't really enough to notice too much change in mm. the gaining phase. And I would say, so that's where almost like if you were only to enter into a building phase for three months, that's in the case where when you started, you probably should have actually rather started in a dieting phase to push mm. down someone's body weight a little bit more and then giving yourself more runway to actually extend that building phase for upwards of six months. Yeah, and definitely. And I think also being having a coach there or at least having someone there to be able to tell you to not do a dieting phase too prematurely, whether it's summer, whether like you're getting a little bit uncomfortable and sometimes you need to get uncomfortable to make the most progress. Mm. And I think Alberto Nunez kind of coined this saying where often people's uncomfortable body composition is where they make the most progress in terms of how strong they are in the gym, where their performance is highest, etc. And like even relating that to me, like, my performance was easily the best at 90, 91 kilos, but definitely wasn't the most comfortable from an eating perspective or even like a body fat perspective either. It was a bit higher on the body fat end. And yeah, that's getting a bit straight anyway. So let's correlate that to nutrition. So nutrition is, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but essentially you have to eat enough protein. You need to gain around 1% of your body weight per month. And I think 1% is often that kind of special number that we use because it's not too aggressive. It's not very slow either. Either, And often people do gain a little bit too quickly. Like four kilos in a month is far too rapid. Mm. Like how much would you have to weigh in order to, you would have to weigh like 400 kilos to warrant gaining four <laughs> kilos in a month um, if you gain at 1% a month. Yeah. Yeah, so... I try and avoid gaining too rapidly because you're just going to be biasing body fat and less muscle gain. Mm. And that's where it really comes down to if you want to do a building phase successfully and it asks as well, what is the specific data that I should be collecting body weight daily from a fasted morning body weight first thing when you wake up, after you go pee, before you eat or drink anything, collecting that every single morning and then taking a weekly average and making sure that your body weight 
is trending in the right direction, which is upward if you're trying to build, but very slowly but surely, rather than just hopping on the scale, you know, once a week sort of thing. So if you want to do it successfully and meticulously, you really do need to be taking those weekly averages and body weight because yeah, if you become complacent with things, 1% of someone's body weight, if we're talking about the average female who might be only 60 kilograms, right? That's only 600 grams in a month. Okay. Mm. Divide that by four to five. That's only on average, like just over a hundred grams per week. So yeah, it's, it is very, very a small amount. And if you do become complacent, you could hop on the scale and it's like, Oh shiz, I'm up by 1.4 in one week. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think there are circumstances where gaining more quickly can be appropriate. Mm. So for example, if someone does start very lean Mm. or if they are newer to training or they're coming back after an injury Mm. or they are kind of just like a a freak of nature who can warrant gaining that quickly and literally have that capacity to gain muscle that quickly, which if you're listening to this, Probably not that person. <laughs> just just from a stati- statistical standpoint, not to be mean or anything. Don't worry. Tiara and Jack are both in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, so that's partly about nutrition. So protein, anywhere from like 1.6 to 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight. And trying to bias animal protein sources if you're an omnivore um, and having those around like three to five times per day at, mm. at your meals or snacks. And if you're a vegan or vegetarian, then trying to still get complete protein sources at each meal or snack, whether that's by just being strategic with your plant-based protein consumption. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of dietary fat, you want to be having anywhere between around like 0.75 to maybe one gram per kilogram of body weight per day of dietary fat. Again, that can be quite individualized depending on people's food preferences. And then filling in the gaps and the remainder of your calories with carbohydrates Mm. and your energy surplus doesn't need to be hugely substantial. For example, like you don't need to be eating in a surplus of over 500 calories above your maintenance every single day. Once again, if you're aiming for that 1% of body weight gained on average every single month, you really only need to be in a surplus probably in the realm of like 150 to 200 calories on average above maintenance each day. Mm. Yeah, I'm personally not even a big fan of referencing it like that because, mm. I mean, that doesn't, even to me, like that's a bit like, uh, how do I Yeah, well, but once again, that? maintenance, it's, it's a moving target. Yeah. We know that we are burning a different amount of energy mm. every single day. So, yeah. Yeah, so what I personally do is just choose that amount of food, whatever it is, that correlates to that surplus that you Mm. need. So that weight gain that we spoke about, and that'll kind of equate to the numbers that you just Mm -hmm. referenced. It goes to show that if someone's gaining weight a little bit too quickly and they're tracking accurately and each week or each day as well, like their energy output is relatively the same. You know, they're doing the same number of training sessions to the same level of intensity each week. And also they're accounting for a similar number of steps on average every single day. And they're gaining weight at a bit too rapid of a pace that you would like to really just favor muscle gain rather than excessive adipose tissue gain. That's when you're like, okay, cool. We might be in slightly too large of a surplus. Let's taper it back a little bit. Mm. And vice versa. If someone's not gaining any weight, man, you need to up their food. Yeah. And I think the last point for me about nutrition is you don't necessarily have to track either. The benefit of tracking is that it's more 
accurate mm. and you have more reassurance that you are eating the appropriate amount of food each day to warrant the fairly small surplus that's required. But it doesn't mean you have to track it. I would say the importance of what if you're not tracking is to ensure that you're still getting that appropriate protein intake and also that you're just not gaining too quickly. And that's where at least weighing yourself for that biofeedback is going to be super important so that mm. you can actually determine whether what you're eating on a daily basis is appropriate. Mm. But I think it is a, it's a misconception that tracking is mandatory. Yeah, it's certainly not. But if you are taking more of an approach where you're just making more informed decisions with your eating day to day, and you are also trying to keep your body weight relatively titrated as well, you just want to make sure that your decisions day to day are fairly similar in terms of the carbohydrate portions that you eat at each meal, as well as the dietary fat portions on top of just hitting an adequate protein intake. Because if you do have some days where you really swing the pendulum, where even if roughly your calories and your protein are equated, but some days are much higher fat than carbohydrates or vice versa, we know that that can just influence your scale weight to a degree. It influences different people differently. Like some people, if they have slightly more carbohydrates, like they will just retain a lot more fluid or they will just synthesize a hell of a lot more glycogen than someone else. But if you are taking a weekly average body weight, but if you actually look, you're like, oh my gosh, but from the highest to the lowest across seven days, there's like a 1.4 kilogram discrepancy that's where it can kind of become a little bit iffy with like, ooh, are some of these just anomalies or like what's my true scale weight? Mm. Yeah, it's some people can fluctuate a lot more than others for mm. just no particular reason even in yeah. my experience. So. so would you say then if someone wants to have the most successful building phase that we would probably advocate for them trying to track their macros? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with that. So track, try to track your macros, definitely track your daily scale weight, uh, track your training, and of course, make sure that you're following a program that is in line with your physique-related goals. You're progressively overloading week to week. It's challenging you. You're definitely enjoying it. And make sure to back it up with some progress photos to make sure that from a visual standpoint, you know, you're growing in the right areas as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think... You've kind of just brushed over training quite quickly there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just summarized everything that's actually going to influence the way that you look. <laughs> mm. Well, personally, I think that, I think we've spoken about this before, but the training component in even saying this as a dietitian is more important than my eyes than the nutrition. <gasps> <laughs> and like, if you think about it, I'll put it like this. If you had the best diet for muscle gain in the world, but you didn't train, you wouldn't gain any muscle. Mm. And Vice versa, if you had the worst diet in the world, but you trained, you would still gain some muscle. It would just not be very much. Yeah. And yeah, that's a poor analogy. But I think if you're, as long as you're in a surplus and you have some protein and that's enough to, to gain muscle mm. um, and quite productively, even if your training is very good. So I think where often people fall short in terms of training is like one, just not training hard enough. So ensuring that you can accurately and consistently go to like around zero to three reps in reserve or train in a close proximity to failure across all your lifts not just like lateral raises and also track your training as well and i think 
often people also compromise themselves by just doing too much volume, right? Like we talked a lot about these sorts of topics before, but train hard enough, don't do too much volume, track your training and ensure that your programming is good either via yourself or via a coach as well. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to training, I definitely would put an emphasis on quality and intensity over quantity. Mm. Uh, And the point that you made about progress photos is good, like find some sort of metric to view your aesthetic change Mm. or physique change, which I think is most representative via photos since you're going for a look. And make sure that you're getting good quality sleep every single night too. (laughs) Yes. But also just like it really does help to have someone in your corner, whether that be a coach that you're checking in with on a weekly basis or someone who you're consulting with quite frequently who can just have a look over your program, have a look over everything that you're doing. You can have discussions with them. And once again, you can just work alongside someone else and have that second pair of eyes so that you can well and truly ensure that, yes, I am in a successful building phase. Yes. (laughs) We are coaches as well, for those who don't know. (laughs) Sneaky little plug. (laughs) Great. So we'll, we'll have time for one final question. Awesome. Okay. So this one says, what are your thoughts on the rice crispy trend immediately before training? Now, Jack, are you very familiar with this trend? Is Are people all of a sudden just eating Rice Krispies immediately before they go and hit the gym? Well, potentially where the question ask is from, which is the US <laughs> of A. So not in Australia, at least, do they do this. We don't even... Do we have Rice Krispies? I think you might be able to find them, but not the brand itself. So the Australian version of a Rice Krispie, I guess, would be an LCM bar, <laughs> which mm. is virtually the same thing. It's rice, a bit of sugar, you know, does the job. It's you pretty crispy. <laughs> have you have you even had what, an LCM? I have had an LCM, yeah, when I was younger. Do you know what they stand for? Ooh, LCM. No, do you know what they stand for? <gasps> Man, I think I'm going to have to do a little bit of a Google. Like, do you know what that stands for? No, I don't. Uh, Back from my math days, might mean least common multiple, but... (laughs) Okay, well, here it says little crunchy munchies. Mm. So here, yes, in Australia, we have the Rice Krispie version is actually called little crunchy munchies, apparently. All right. Anyway, so I looked this up. So why would people be eating LCMs or Rice Krispies? Well, they don't need pre-training? a reason because it's a it's an Instagram trend. No, they just don't need a reason because people can do what they want. Yeah, exactly. Dude, you can drink red wine before your workout. You can do what you want. Mm. <laughs> so they don't need a genuine nutritional reason as to why they might do it, but we're <laughs> going to find one for them. Okay. So what is what is the logic behind a Rice Krispie, right? So well, at least here in Australia. So if you were to buy an LCM bar, has about 90 calories, has about 17 grams of carbs, two grams of fat, one gram of protein, and pretty negligible fiber. So why would that be ideal pre-training? Yeah, so it's essentially just going to spike your blood glucose quite effectively, and that'll give you like the perceived effect of some more energy. Mm. And as you go throughout your workout, like that might be metabolized and absorbed as further energy because it's very quickly metabolized it has next to no dietary fiber it's kind of just like having a lolly or a gatorade prior Mm. to your training so yeah it's not going to do anything magical i think a proper pre-workout meal would do much more Mm. but it might give you a little bit of a placebo boost and a nice blood glucose spike prior to training yeah exactly essentially something that's low volume you can keep in the car don't have to refrigerate good carb content good to go 
Mm. It's kind of similar, almost the same as an intra workout. Because like if anyone does take intra workouts, and I'm not good at this myself, because I'm just genuinely not hungry enough. But you should really be drinking your intra workout by the you have should have finished your intra workout by the time you finish your compound exercise in the gym. Mm. So that way, like by the time you get to your end the intra workouts actually being used yeah <laughs> you don't want to be finishing like your intra workout while you're doing your core at the very end of no. a workout <laughs> at that point it's just uh, a soft drink yes <laughs> but once again it's not magical a rice crispy or an lcm because if you actually look at the ingredients almost 50 percent of it is literally just rice bubbles which is like some rice some sugar some salt some malt barley extract you got a little bit of glucose and fructose in there you got some soybean oil you know salt flavor emulsifiers so that's me just reading off the ingredient list from an lcm but once again it's nothing magical it's just a little bit of sugary rice essentially put into a bar form that you can conveniently eat and then go work out you could have tiny teddies. You yeah. could have a, a neutral grain bar. Mm-hmm. You yeah. could have some rice cakes with some honey on it. Yeah. You yeah. could have a nice banana. Yeah, you could have a banana, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of different things, but I think as well... Just don't eat the skin. There's a hell of a lot of different trends on the internet too. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Mm-hmm. And uh, as per usual, we haven't done this for a while, but what is something that we learned this week? Well, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first because I actually have something this week. So, yeah, as of late, we've been missing a few items of clothing in the house. And I think the obvious sort of reasoning that we decided on is like we have two border collies. The clothesline is very easily reached by them because they can jump quite high. But yeah, they're not really the sort of dogs to chew up our clothing. And we haven't really seen any clothing around the yard mm. so the, our next sort of port of call was like someone jumping the fence and stealing some of our items of clothing but and that is something that i actually did consider happen and this was a number of years ago when we'd first moved into our share house but i swear like i remember hanging up a certain garment of clothing given i was very deep in a prep so i could have had a prep brain, but I remember hanging up some underwear and also a brand new bikini, right? That I had just bought and then went out to the clothesline later that day to get the dry laundry. And what do you know? It wasn't there. And I was like, oh, so I called up the real estate agent. And at that time, we actually didn't have any locks on our gates. And I was telling them like, I think someone broke into our yard and stole my underwear. (laughs) And like, you know, our real estate agents were like, this is really strange, but we'd probably encourage you to probably put some locks on your gates. So that's what we did. We Mm. even got a little sign to put outside saying, smile, you're on camera in front of our laundry. (laughs) Well, that was more so for the dogs. Less so for the clothing, in my eyes at least. But once again, like, I think that I hung those things up and then someone might have jumped the gate or come in and stole, you know, this really nice yellow bikini that I just bought. But perhaps I actually was just having a prep brain moment and I never hung it up. Mm. And all I had actually done was just put it in the washing machine. Yes. I mean, it certainly sounds like a murder mystery. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm sure many of you are potentially nodding along, knowing exactly what I'm about to say. But there is a phenomenon where people's washing machines will actually swallow items of clothing. (laughs) And usually it is the smaller items of clothing, like socks and underwear, and they kind of float to the top. 
and then they kind of when the washing machine is too full they kind of slide down the side and then get lost forever mm. so that's i think what has been happening and i didn't realize that did happen and uh, we need to kind of dismantle the machine now to to find the the tens of hundreds of thousands of pair of socks in there yeah legit man we're gonna have to get a screwdriver and just break off one of the panels and just years worth of our socks and you know those bikinis that i thought someone stole (laughs) are just gonna come out but oh those things are gonna need a good wash (laughs) yeah i'm not game to wear them myself yeah but i am so curious to see like what is in our washing machine like what has it actually eaten because like it it's very obvious that uh, yes something is happening down there (laughs) because like i distinctly remember with my colorful socks i'll put like two bright yellow socks in the washing machine and then when i go to hang up the laundry i only have one yellow sock and i'm like sam boston I, i i know you guys haven't taken it so like where is this thing yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to know though, has anyone else can we use the word suffered from this? <laughs> it is a first world problem. Have, have they have you guys experienced this where your washing machine literally gets hungry and actually eats your garments of clothing? Mm. And then have you actually broken open the washing machine to actually find all of these little items? Yeah, I think most people are probably smart enough not to overfill the washing machine. Though. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll raise both hands and I'll take full <laughs> full responsibility. I apologize. But either way, like I, I am very curious to see um, when we find those things. They're there, which is obviously a relief. Mm. Anyway, what did you learn this week? Okay, well, I learned this past week because we did just return from our trip from Bali. But when we left for Bali... I was planning, or I actually prepared some delicious cocoa oats with chia seeds and protein powder to take on the plane so I didn't have to eat any plane food. But lo and behold, it actually got confiscated in customs because they have this very strict rule now that you cannot bring over 100 milliliters of fluid into the airport past like the security check, which... I thought I'd press my luck because last time we went to Hawaii a few years ago, I was able to get through with my big thing of oats and also my can of sardines. But this time it got red flagged and they opened up my bag and they picked up this tub of like sludge and they're like, uh, what is this? And I'm like, it's my oatmeal. <laughs> it's protein oats, bro. Um, and they confiscated it. And I was very, very sad. So did they take the Tupperware? They took the Tupperware as well. Uh, so they had to, they threw the whole thing away. But what gets me is that I also had two pieces of fruit. I had a big apple and a big orange and they were like, you know, you can't have more than a hundred milliliters of fluid. Obviously with my oatmeal, it was like oats mixed with water and chia seeds and everything. So it wasn't like I was just carrying fluid. It was just fluid attached to other food, but it's not like they confiscated my fruit. Like my apple was over 200 grams and apples are what? Like 90% water or something like that. So there was over a hundred milliliters of fluid in my apple. (laughs) Yeah, but legit, like what? I could have sneakily been sneaking in some sort of apple bomb, right? Because that could have had over a hundred mils of fluid in it. Yeah, I mean, you are right. Yeah. <laughs> this we need to take action on this. Yeah, absolutely. You we know, need to get your oats back. It's it, probably still there. It could have actually turned out that fruit will kill you. <laughs> but 
Anyway, I, I found out that I can no longer take prepped oats onto a plane, but if I do want to take prepped oats onto a plane, once we got through security, next to all of the airport gates, they had vending machines where you could buy a meal, and then they had a microwave right next to the vending machine where you could heat up the meal. So in future, what I can do is I can just bring the dry oats with chia seeds and, and protein powder, and then I can just add water after I get through customs and just use one of those microwaves. Very smart. Yeah. But also on top of that, because I didn't have a protein source for our flight and our flight was already delayed and I'm like, yo, like I'm not going to miss my MPS window here. I went to the news agent and I tried to get a protein source and the leanest protein source I could think of was some jerky. And <laughs> typical here in Australia, they had kangaroo and they had crocodile jerky. <laughs> I guess in the U.S. they might have... They didn't have have any emu jerky? They didn't, no, but they had crocodile. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. And it was actually the best macros, but they didn't have the price on it or anything like that. So I was like, cool, I'll buy some crocodile jerky. And I went up to the newsagent. I was like, I'll just get this, but how much does it cost? She scanned it. Guess how much? Well, I know how much because you told me. (laughs) Okay, well, guess how, how much did you first estimate it cost? I said like 50 cents or something. 50 cents. <laughs> Try to, what, like times that by 40? Yeah. This crocodile jerky was like $19.95 for this tiny little bag of crocodile jerky. I was like, hell no. So I bought myself a protein bar. <laughs> but either way, I was able to eat a protein bar and my two pieces of fruit on the mm. plane. Tiara's second protein bar ever. Yes, it actually was. I've only had two. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, that's what I learned this week, guys, that you can no longer take pre-cooked oats through customs, but you can somehow make it happen after the gate if you're if you're smart. But mm-hmm. that's just, you know, what I learned for our future international trip. Great. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully you are still listening. And <laughs> Of course they are. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. Don't forget to check out Bodybuilding Down Under. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week.